Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time on the show, what can we learn about attitudes to women in the workplace from people who have experienced work as both genders? As a creative director, and as a male creative director, I started to notice differences with the way women were treated. But when I was a woman, I didn't really notice. And I figured, oh, well, it's probably because I'm junior, Maybe that's why I'm being treated that way. Coming up on The Broad Experience. Kristen Schilt is a sociology professor at the University of Chicago, and her research focuses on all things gender-related. About a decade ago, she began studying how transgender men fare in the workplace. So that is men who had been born in a female body. The rest of the world saw them as female, but they had never identified as female. They'd ended up transitioning, usually in their 20s, 30s or 40s. Often this meant starting a series of operations and taking hormones as well as dressing like men. They came back to work presenting as male, with a new name and different appearance. Kristen's book, based on her research, is called Just One of the Guys, Transgender Men and the Persistence of Inequality. And these guys had fascinating tales to tell of their experiences at work. They were the same person with the same abilities they had when the outside world saw them as women, but their workplace experiences were quite different. First, I asked Kristen why she decided to focus on this particular group to begin with. You know, in terms of if you just take like the idea of this binary of male and female, male tends to be something that carries more reward. And uh, as a sociologist, um, you know, I had noticed that we typically study what happens when people kind of go down in status, like just in general, that's a focus in sociology. And I wanted to see um, what might happen if people were trying to move to a category that other people perceived as having more value the category labeled male, which, let's face it, most of the world still sees as having more value. And I mean, I think the point that makes this clearer is in my current research, I've been doing a lot of interviews with transgender women. You know, several people have told me that when they announced at their workplace that they were becoming women, that men would actually say to them, well, why would you want to be a second-class citizen? So it's clear to her that male is still society's default setting, the most desirable state to occupy, particularly if you're white. And she wanted to find out what happened when you began life as the less favoured sex, then transitioned to live as a man. Kristen Schilt talked to 54 guys. The majority were white. Half the men had quit their old jobs, transitioned, then gone back to a new workplace where no one knew they used to live as women. The other half had transitioned while at their job, with at least the nominal support of their workplace. And these men did a variety of things. A third were in blue-collar jobs, a third were in service or retail positions, and the other third were in professional jobs, like lawyer or technologist. So to sort of open up a large conversation, what did these men's experiences in the workplace reveal about 
attitudes to women in the workplace, first of all? I know some of them had some were quite surprised by what they experienced. Yeah, you know, I think that many of them, (laughs) you know, they would often say to me, you know, when I was living as a woman, it's not like I didn't know that misogyny existed. I just never like realized the depth of it. You know, so their sense was when they were in a room full of men where they were being perceived as someone who, you know, had been raised male his whole life. Men said very different things about women than they had ever heard um, when they were living as women. And, you know, some of them would say, like, almost all of my friends were guys. Like, I was used to this kind of talk that guys have, but this is like a whole different level. And, you know, I think that one of the things that was sort of surprising to the guys who uh, got jobs where no one knew that they were trans was the extent to which employers would say things like, oh, I'm so glad we hired you. You know, a woman could never do this kind of job. Like driving, I mean, just stereotypical things like women aren't good drivers or women can't carry heavy things. And so there was just a lot of statement of this is something we all know that men can do that women can't do. Um, I think also, you know, just noticing how men often were just kind of blind to women's abilities. You know, so several of them talked about, I felt like, I was being asked if I wanted to be promoted over a woman who had been there longer, who was just as good as I was, you know, and so many of them would like go out of their way as men to say like, well, what about this woman too, you know, and to try to point that out because they were like, it's like men just don't even notice women's abilities. Talking of which, I asked Kristen to tell a story that really jumped out at me from the book that seems to prove just how deep this kind of unconscious bias goes. There's a guy in the book called Thomas. He'd begun life as Susan. Right. So he uh, was a lawyer and everyone in his law firm knew that he had transitioned. And his boss, who was a woman, told him that a lawyer at a related firm had told her that he was so glad that they had fired Susan, who he had found to be very incompetent, but that he really loved this new guy, Thomas, and that, you know, he didn't realize that they were the same person. So apparently Susan, so bad at her job. Thomas, amazing. And Thomas is far from the only transgender guy who's had an experience like that. I start the book off with the story of Ben Barres, who's a Stanford University professor in the sciences. And he, um, in 2006, wrote this very sort of influential piece in the science journal Nature about um, being a trans man in the sciences. And he, you know, tells a very similar story where he says that shortly after um, he went through his transition, he heard a faculty member say, you know, Ben Barres gave a great seminar today, but then his work is so much better than his sister's. Again, unbeknownst to that critic, Ben Barres and his so-called sister were one and the same. There were other experiences too, less positive ones. A black trans guy in Kristen's studies said he'd gone from being perceived as an obnoxious black woman to a black man who was looked on as dangerous. He was sometimes stopped in his car as he drove through white neighbourhoods on his way to or from work. That had never happened to him before. Then there was the trans guy who had been a radical lesbian as a female and was used to bandying about words like dyke at the office. He continued to do that after his transition, but then was given a strict talking to by his boss about his use of homophobic language. These guys said it was so weird. They were the same person inside, but they had to get used to the outside world, seeing them totally differently as men and landing them with new stereotypes and new rules to follow. And yet, I think most of your participants felt that they they gained in the workplace from this transition, right? Can you talk about what they felt that they gained? Sure. So I would say about two-thirds of them 
saw what they viewed as positive changes, right? And so uh, one of the things that they noticed a lot was getting more authority for their ideas. And so people would often say, I don't have to, like, back up the claims I'm making. People listen to me more. Um, one of the guys who transitioned in a female-dominated workplace, um, he transitioned, he got a new job. Nobody knew that he was trans. And he would say, you know, sometimes in these meetings, I'm the only man. And when I start talking, all the women just get really quiet and look at me. And at first he couldn't figure out what was happening. And then he realized, like, oh, <laughs> this is, like, what it feels like to have authority. <laughs> um, and so... You know, it was it was disconcerting for many of them. So I think authority was a big thing. Um, assumed competence, you know, so they would say, like, it's just this idea that, like, I must know how to do things. Um, so several of them had, you know, a lot of what many people classify as, like, quote-unquote masculine knowledge about things like construction or building while they were living as women. But it was never really validated. And then having that same knowledge or having knowledge about cars or something like that was much more um, validated uh, when they were living as men. And in some, you know, rarer cases, guys who got jobs as men where no one knew that they were trans felt that they got sort of in, like economic gains that they wouldn't have gotten before. You know, so whether it was because they got hired in a kind of lucrative, like blue collar job where there just weren't that many women and they were able to you know, they thought no one would have hired me in this case, or like in a, a high tech firm where they were like, look, there's hardly any women here. I'm not sure if you read this part, but one of the guys applied for this high tech job as a woman, didn't get the job, reapplied three months later after he transitioned with a different name and then got hired. That's right. He applied for the same job, but this time he had a male name, made it to the interview stage and got the job. And, you know, and he couldn't guarantee that the same people had read the application, but his credentials hadn't changed. And, you know, his sense was having worked in this high tech field, just having like, you know, checking the M and having this masculine name on the file made him seem potentially more appropriate for those kinds of jobs. On the other hand, I had to bring something up, something I heard from the person you'll hear from in the second half of the show. He began life in a female body and some of the positive changes he experienced at work after he transitioned he puts them down to the fact he was just so delighted to finally be himself and he had more confidence as a result. I mean, could potentially some of the, the upsides that accrued to these guys have come not because people were perceiving them as a man, but because they were simply exuding more confidence? And, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot because people ask me this question a lot. And I feel like my caution about that is that, you know, transgender women face a lot more discrimination in the workplace. And they often are very, very happy that they've transitioned and have a very similar feeling of I finally get to be who I am. It's that other people don't want that to happen. Right. And so I think having confidence is one thing and it's great, but you have to have other people support that for you. And I think at least my research suggests that while many transgender men do face a lot of discrimination, when you compare their experiences to transgender women, they're more likely to get at least some kind of nominal support in the workplace that allows them to kind of take advantage of that confidence and happiness. That's not to say all the guys she studied had positive experiences. There was plenty of discrimination at work, lots of rude questions, some outright hostility, and some instances of being passed over for promotion. We're going to hear more from Kristen in the next show, where we'll also hear more about transgender women's experiences at work. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. But for now, we're going to meet Chris Edwards. He's a trans guy living in Boston. He told me he knew from when he was tiny that he was not a girl, even if he looked like one. He had two sisters, and to the outside world, his was a family of girls, just not to him. He tried to tell his grandmother when he was four that he wasn't a girl, but she shushed him. Indulgently, but still, he says, it was the beginning of him realising that he had to pretend. And so he did, all through his childhood and teenage years, through college and into the workplace. And his first foray into the workplace, he says, more than 20 years ago now, it was driven in part by the discomfort he felt about his appearance. A lot of things that had to bear on what job I took was really, what did I have to wear on the job? Skirts and heels? Chris couldn't deal with that. It was too uncomfortable, too fake. He did not enjoy his time interning at a law firm where dressing up was part of the requirement. But another of his internships was in advertising. Now, his dad had always worked in the business, so Chris was familiar with it in theory, but had never tried it. Ultimately, he ended up taking an entry-level job at his dad's ad agency in Boston. But after two years of work, even in jeans and T-shirts, he decided he couldn't live any longer as a woman. He was desperately unhappy and wanted to transition, start having operations, taking hormones... He was planning to quit, to move out of state and start life afresh where no one knew him. He talked to a therapist about it and she said, look, you're going to need a support network. Stay where your friends are. So after talking with her for a bit, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? You're right. I should probably stay in Massachusetts and do it. It's going to get out anyway. Uh, I'll just look for a new job. And then she was like, well, why do you need to (laughs) find a new job? And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you living in fantasy land? You know, I'm going to stay in this job. All I could think of was my poor dad and how I'm going to humiliate him and, and you know, just my own courage to do it. But unlike a lot of transgender people, Chris had a very supportive family. Even his dad, CEO of this ad agency, said, look, if this is what you want, stay here. We'll support you. OK, so his family was on board, but then it was time to tell the firm about his plans. So... Uh, My dad and I sat in this board meeting with pretty much, I think there were about eight, uh, (laughs) I'd say middle-aged white conservative males uh, at the table, and and I explained to them what I was going through. It was awkward. They didn't know what to do. They were looking down at their empty coffee cups, suddenly finding them very interesting, and um, it it was tense and it was awkward, but at the end of it, one of the board members asked me what they could do to help make my transition easier, which I thought was very nice and way more than I expected, and I finally took a breath. After that breath, he said, well, after the transition, he would not be using the ladies' room anymore. He'd be using the men's room. It was like, what? You know, it was, and, I, and I couldn't believe after everything I just said, it was the men's room that was the biggest deal. And honestly, that was... That ended up being the only thing that really people talked about, just 
because of the way that I handled it. That was a big deal. So what I said was, listen, I won't use either bathroom for two weeks and give people enough time to adjust to the news and be prepared. So every time I had to pee, I went to out the building around the corner to the Rebecca's Cafe that had a unisex bathroom. But things did settle down, he says. He was accepted into the men's bathroom. It helped that he made a lot of jokes about the whole experience to put people at ease and that he was working in a more laid-back environment than, say, a bank. And, of course, his dad was the head of the company. He was hugely relieved he'd made the decision. I was just happier, more confident. Um, I was more easygoing. I think about things. And as I began taking the testosterone injections, that's when I really started to notice a difference in my behavior. And emotionally, aside from being happier and and more comfortable in my own skin, I wasn't prepared for the emotional changes. And I actually didn't notice them right away. It was friends of mine that pointed it out. You know, a lot of my friends were girls for the most part because that's, you know, how I grew up. So two of my best friends at work were female. One of them tends to talk a lot. And we were on our way to dinner somewhere. And I asked her if her sister was meeting us at the restaurant. And, you know, 10 minutes later, she's still talking. And I still don't know if (laughs) her sister's joining us. And I just said, well, is she coming or not? You know? Can I have the answer, please? And and she said, you know, you used to like my stories and, you know, listen to me. And now I, I've noticed you've been a lot more impatient. And I think it's that damn testosterone you're taking. That testosterone, she said, it was making the old Chris more like a typical man. And so we talked about it. And I had noticed it, too, once she said it. I didn't put two and two together, but... Um, I definitely was less patient. I was more curt and to the point. I was speaking up more in meetings because I was more confident in myself. But it, it, it definitely, the most noticeable change was impatience and getting to the point. And some of his old, more typically female traits were slipping away. I wasn't worried so much about how I came across. So... I used to couch things and be very um, sensitive about, oh, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm going to be very soft to approach things and, and dance around the issues and that kind of thing. And I stopped doing it. I was more blunt. I don't think I was rude, but I was definitely more assertive and I would just say what I thought. One more thing he says. As his friend indicated, in the past he was known for being a good listener. After his transition, he says, he became a solver. So I'd listen to a point and then just give them a solution, which is a stereotypically male thing to do. And I would just be like, okay, well, why don't you just do this? And they're like, I'm I'm not asking you. I just want you to empathize and listen to me. So I definitely do that more, but hopefully I don't patronize. Something else he began to become aware of now he was living as a man was that men got a better deal at work. As a creative director and as a male creative director, I started to notice differences with the way women were treated. But when I was a woman, I didn't really notice. And I figured, oh, well, it's probably because I'm junior. You know, maybe that's why I'm being treated that way. But, you know, I was noticing in meetings if there was a 
creative brainstorm session. Uh, if there's a female creative in the room, she's supposed to take the notes, which I could not believe. And, you know, even at a higher level, even if it's like three creative directors in a room and one of them's female, she's supposed to take the notes. That's called office housework, by the way, and women often end up doing it. Occasionally, his status became a point of contention. And this is something Kristen Schild also found with her research. When something happens at work, either the trans person or their colleagues start to second guess the reasons behind it. When I got a window office, um, someone was passed over. I got the window office and of course it was, oh, well now that he's a guy, he gets the window office. When in fact I had just been promoted but the announcement hadn't gone out yet and that was why I got the window office into which he settled quite well. He knows he's one of the lucky few who got through his transition with very little trauma in the workplace, and he feels life at work is easier as a man. He says your identity is your sole being. I feel that I am who I am, and um, I can sympathize with women because I've been there half my life. I'm 45, and I spent uh, 23 years as a female, and the rest of it male, and I can sympathize, and I, and I can see now what it's like, whereas I couldn't see before. It isn't until you're in different shoes that you can see that. Chris Edwards. He still works in advertising, and he's just finished a memoir. It's called Balls. That's the broad experience for this time. I want to give a shout out to Anne Law this week. Anne's a leadership coach in Washington, D.C., and it was through her blog that I first found out about Kristen Schilt's work several months ago. Anne also writes about the workplace for the Huffington Post. I'll post a link to her site at thebroadexperience.com. Next time on the show, more on gender, sexuality and the workplace. What if you're looking for a job, but you don't conform to a womanly stereotype? You walk in the room and you feel automatically crossed off the list. Someone is surprised at how you appear. They're kind of taken aback. Um, the interview is really short. They don't really ask you a lot of questions. You feel kind of like rushed in and out, like this is really not an option. That's next time. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, please chip in with a review on iTunes. It really does help the show come to more people's attention. And please share the show on social media if you're on there. Word of mouth also helps a lot. You'll find me on Twitter at Ashley Milne-Tite, without the hyphen. You can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.